Grab your Bibles with me and turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. Today we pick up where we left off last week, chapter 1, verse 36. We'll work through verse 45 today as we hear the testimony of the faith of Mary and Elizabeth. So far we've seen the amazing testimony of Zechariah, faithful priest, while in the temple visited by the angel Gabriel to declare that Zechariah's elderly wife, who is barren for a lifetime, will conceive to bear a son for him. And he, John, would make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Then Gabriel, six months into that pregnancy, visits a teenage girl in Nazareth named Mary to declare that even though she is a virgin, she will bear a son who will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. His name shall be Jesus. He is the promised Redeemer of God's people. The Savior of the world, God the Son who took on flesh to save many from our sin. As we pick up today in verse 36 of chapter 1 of Luke's Gospel, we see that even though Mary doesn't ask for a confirmation or a sign, Gabriel offers one by sharing with her the miraculous work of God and her cousin Elizabeth, whom the family has surely been praying for for a lifetime, that she would be able to bear a child. Look with me at Gabriel, as Gabriel continues his declaration to Mary. Luke chapter 1, verse 36 and 37. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. The first thing we need to see here is the importance of Gabriel's use of the word behold. To behold means to look intently at. To look closely, deeply. Not in a passing way, not in a flippant way, but in a deep way. There are a lot of things that we see every day. But I ask you, what are the things that you are beholding? The things you are looking deeply at. The things you are spending time meditating on. Replaying in your mind. What are the things that move you? That captivate you? The angel Gabriel calls for Mary to behold, to look closely at the wondrous work of the Almighty God, to bring life to the womb of an elderly and lifelong barren Elizabeth. And then Gabriel declares, nothing is impossible for God. Now, it's not Elizabeth herself that Gabriel calls Mary to behold. It is the work of the Lord in and through Elizabeth. 
It is God who we are to behold. His majesty, his power should captivate the deepest and most wondrous ways of our hearts and minds to to such a degree that we genuinely well up with worship for him and praise, exaltation. This, This points us to one of God's great attributes, his omnipotence. That's what we're beholding here. The Word of Truth Catechism defines omnipotence as God's attribute. God is able to do all His holy will. He is able. God is all-powerful. Omni, all. Potence here is power. God is all-powerful. His omnipotence. The, the psalmist speaks of God's omnipotence in Psalm 33, 9. For he spoke. How powerful is God? He spoke. And it came to be. He commanded. And it stood firm. Job famously declares God's omnipotence in Job 42.2. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. The great prophet Jeremiah speaks of God's omnipotence. Jeremiah 32.17. Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing, nothing is too hard for you. Nothing. Jesus himself speaks of God's omnipotence, Matthew 19, 26. But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things All things are possible. With God, all things are possible. Christian, do you believe this? In what way might you not be believing this? Therefore, you are giving up. What are you giving up on? That God has called you to that is good and righteous. Even if it's really hard. In that giving up, did you stop believing that God will do His mighty will and not be thwarted? That all things are possible with God? So you threw in the towel? We must not just believe this with our minds, but with our whole life. For nothing could be more true of the almighty creator, sustainer, and ruler of everything. 
Beloved, nothing is impossible with God. In a land of incredible knowledge and talent and resources, in a generation where things once thought unattainable are becoming normal, there are still so many things that we often find ourselves facing that seem utterly impossible. And no amount of our time or our money or our effort can just make them happen. But not with God. Understand that He is not bound by time or money or resources or knowledge. And He's surely not bound by our effort or lack thereof. No, He is sovereign. He is omnipotent. He is the Lord of all creation, time, and space. Oh, how we need to never lose sight of this essential fact about God, especially when we are in hard, when we are in intense situations, hard-set circumstances. We need to have a clear view of the sovereignty and almighty power of God who rules over all things. That needs to be our prayers for the believers who are being bombed today, who are watching pieces of their family and friends be moved apart in front of them. For the prisoner... For the one unjustly serving a lifelong sentence in jail. Nothing is impossible with God. God reigns over it all. We cannot lose sight of this. So how do we keep God's omnipotence and this essential fact in constant view, two major ways that the Lord ordains for us to have this. Number one is general revelation. These are the ways that God reveals Himself to us in creation, in what we see. Psalm 19.1, The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Romans 1, 19 and 20, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. I think quickly we like that passage because it's talking about they. Can I just love you right now? You are without excuse because of God's general revelation. Of His eternal power. 
Not only do we see clearly his eternal power and what he's created by speaking it into existence, sustaining it, we also know of God's power by his specific and special revelation. For us, church, today, this is his written word. The Bible, the Holy Scriptures. Consider a few scriptures that God gives us in his written word that are his specific revelation, special revelation. Jesus says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he's quoted, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Romans 8.31 John says, He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. 1 John 4.4 Oh, how forgetful we are, and therefore how blessed we are to have so many reminders of God's omnipotence. Why is this such a blessing? Because we too, church, are to behold His glory, His power, His presence in our lives. And I've often encouraged you, rebuked you, in those moments where you are sinfully, selfishly thinking about God with your eyes in a can and saying, where are you? Have you abandoned me? Church, you need to remember your very ability to think those very thoughts is because of the sustaining work of God in your life. Our faith is to be emboldened by God's power at work all around us. That our eyes are fixed on Him who, and who He is. And we don't lose sight of that. What He's able to do and what He will do for His glory and for our good. And so that's what Gabriel's doing right now for Mary. He just dropped massive news on her that's going to totally change her life. And He, and he just says, Behold the omnipotence of God in your cousins. I pray that we would behold him. Instead of just glancing on occasion his way and then fixing our gaze, our thoughts, our identity, our priorities on the things of creation instead. For nothing is impossible with God. Do you believe this? Now there's something very critical about what you do with that belief. See, you can make your deep-seated belief that God can do the impossible only about what He does. The danger in this is that the things He can do can quickly become the highest aim and deepest longings of our heart. But what He can do must not be our highest aim or desire 
only God himself should be. See, have you interacted with Christians? Have you even done this yourself where something really hard is happening and we need to pray? And so we go to God in prayer and we speak of our faith in God going to work. If that faith at work in prayer is only about what he can do, then I miss it. Now the faith in God in prayer is surely to believe he can do it. He's able more than able and therefore to pray that way. But it is to finish, to terminate, to put the cherry on top that that faith is to trust it to him and his perfect will for his glory. That's the faith at work at its peak. Your faith in him and what he can do can cause you to trust in him and his perfect wisdom and goodness and his will to trust him. That's your faith in him whether it's a faith that's at work, whether he chooses to do it or not. Who God is has to be our highest aim and praise and revelation. This is how we don't make God the means to another end. If we do this, we become idolaters. We turn God into some form of genie whose only purpose is to serve my highest hopes. So again, with God, nothing is impossible. Church, this fact needs to embolden our worship to God. This fact needs to strengthen our faith in God, our trust in God. Not that He just can do it. Not that He just can do what I hope He does but that he can do and will do what he perfectly wills to be done. It is our faith in the omnipotence of God that needs to move us to truly trust that he is perfectly at work even when our world is being turned upside down. So do we pray for deliverance of those now captured in Israel, for for bombings and bodies breaking apart to stop? Yes, we pray for that. God is able. But we don't lessen our trust or our faith that also says, God, you are on the throne in the midst of these things. You are to be praised. It is our faith in the omnipotence of God that needs to move us to truly trust that He is perfectly at work even when our world is being turned upside down. This is what a young teenage girl is going through in this moment. This is amazing. Gabriel just got done telling Mary 
this remarkable thing. But the news that Mary was just given, when looked at plainly, is socially and circumstantially terrible for her life. Why? Because a 12 or 13 or 14 year old girl just was told she's pregnant. And you say, but yeah, but that's good news. Okay, but see the context. An unplanned pregnancy of a teenage girl who's engaged to be married with a man she's never been intimate with is not circumstantially good news. At all. By tradition, she would be stoned for adultery or at best divorced from her betrothed. This is therefore the means to the end of her wedding plans. And if you know anything, you don't mess with a girl's wedding plans. Can you imagine what the town then begins to say and whisper about Mary as she begins to show that she's pregnant? What does Mary say? Hey, you guys, no, no, it's cool. It's cool. Angel visited me. Holy Spirit made me pregnant. Can you imagine their response? Come on, Mary, just admit it. You're a floozy. You're a liar. Just get out of here. There are so many reasons for Mary to be freaking out right now. And so with that context and this awesome declaration of Gabriel for her to behold the omnipotence of God, listen carefully now, church, to Mary's reply as it reveals a marvelous faith in God. A young teenage girl in the midst of an oppressive cultural upbringing and arranged marriage just received news that would circumstantially rip her social life apart. And Mary said in verse 38, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary declares herself to, to Gabriel to belong to God, to be his servant. Let it be according, let it be to me according to your word. Wow. The word servant in the Greek here is doule. It's the feminine of the word doulos. It, it, it is slave. Mary sees who she is in light of her God, and she embraces it. Christian, when you think of your position in this life, about, do you first think about how you relate to others, how you're positioned among others, how you're doing among the people that are left and right of you, or at work, or at school, or at home? Or do you think of your position first and foremost in relationship to God? Christian, do you rightly see your position in this life as one who belongs to Christ, as a slave to Christ, who is ready to submit whatever the Master puts in front of you to bring Him glory, Are you waking up to say, my 
priority today is to serve my master. I want to do what he puts in front of me. I want to handle it, think about it, steward it for his glory and not my own. Or do you wake up in charge of your own life and planning to do what you've decided or prioritized for your life? Not to say that we don't plan, that we don't aim to be good stewards of what God's entrusted to us, but where's your position in the midst of all of that? Mary understands her standing before God and she joyfully embraces it. Even as it's wrecking a young girl's dreams. So there's the next layer. Because part of what I just said, you can say, I can get on board with that. But then what happens when, it's, when God's will, what he puts before you, is wrecking your will, what you want? Do I remain faithful? Do I still say, this is mine to steward? Uh, it's not about my dreams anymore. I gladly packed those up in a box and died to them to live to Christ. Beloved, we must never lose sight of the fact that the Christian life is a crucified life. This is Jesus teaching through and through how prosperity gospel teachers or people attend these churches and read this book and still end up with that stuff blows my mind. Jesus just made it so clear. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself not position himself for 45 Mercedes-Benz to deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For the true Christian, dying to self is both a one-time event and a lifelong process. We must understand when Christ died on the cross for sinners, he not only stood in our place doing what we could never do, therefore paying the full price due our sin, but he showed us what we must do as followers of him. Take up our own cross and join him on the Calvary road of death to self. So when you see the cross, high praise needs to well up for how the Lord ordained to use it for your salvation, but also for your assignment. The Christian life is one as a slave to our master. It is a life of crucifixion. The cross of Jesus is not merely a place of past substitution. It is also a present place of daily execution for our sanctification. So we can't make it about us. Every moment that we try to 
make it about us is going to make this thing maddening and frustrating. And it completely betrays who I am in Christ. So I beg of you today, don't allow the cross to just be a relic of great historical history uh, of the past. No, but it would be the very work of God in your life today to bring change, sanctification, focus, purpose for your days. When you see a cross as a Christ follower, it should cause you to thank God for what he's done and it should propel you into the sacrificial life he's called you to live for his glory and for others' good. I was just challenged by someone I was listening to on a podcast recently who was just really pointing out at still how many in the modern church make church, make their faith, make their life still all about them. And my complaints and all my critique and all these things, it's so me-centered. When Jesus in us should be so other-centered. That's, it moves me. I don't have time to hold a grudge. I don't have time to be mad. I don't have time to keep score. I have more people to love and to share and to serve. That's the purpose of my days. Consider Paul's great words in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Recognize with me that Mary and Paul are not the only ones who modeled to live as a servant for their master, but Jesus himself. John 4, 34, he said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And as his horrendous murder approached, as the taking on God's holy wrath due all our sin approached, he said, not my will, but yours be done. Luke twenty-two forty-two. 42. Church, Mary is a teenage girl. She's not long in years or wise with life experience. She's simply full of faith in God that causes her to truly and fully submit herself to God's plan for her life. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Not only does Mary submit herself to the Lord in position, be his servant, but in plan. Let it be according to me. Let it to be to me according to your word. Christian, are you bringing all of your requests to God in prayer, as we should, but finishing those prayers with heartfelt yielding to God to say, let it be according to me. Let it be to me according to your word and will. May our daily surrender to the Lordship of Jesus be as simple and all in as Mary displays here in verse 38.
Look with me at what Luke highlights next in verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. She entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Mary doesn't sit around and wait. Instead, she goes to see her cousin who is advanced in years, but in these last stages of pregnancy with John. She makes haste, Luke says, to see her beloved family because she surely is excited to behold with her own eyes the amazing work of God and wants to celebrate with Elizabeth and Zechariah. If you've prayed for something, for a dear family member your entire life and God ordains it to come to pass, you too would be thrilled to celebrate with them. Another point to notice is that Mary is a faithful servant of the Lord. That, that is her position. That is her attitude. That's how she wants to live her days. And so a vibrant teenager, she's in a prime position to be a servant, uh, uh, to be a help and a blessing to her very old cousin who's in the later stages of pregnancy to bring her loving support. And because that's who she is, the purpose of her days, she makes haste, the multi-day trip to go see them. Verse 41, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. Uh, both Elizabeth and Jesus' forerunner, who is an unborn baby in Elizabeth's womb, are excited at Mary's presence and greeting. What a special moment this must have been for Elizabeth to hear Mary's voice, right? Why, why was that such a cool moment? Because Mary didn't pick up the telephone and call her and say, I'm coming. Are you tracking with me? She's just there. And she's hearing her voice. How excited she must have been to share her news with her. Through God's work. I mean, any pregnancy is special and one to be <clears throat> celebrated, especially among women. Right? You, you, you like to party in a special way over pregnancies, ladies. This is special for them. But it's bigger than that. Here, why? This has been the deepest prayer of Zachariah and Elizabeth's life that the Lord would give them a child. And so long into their life, the Lord has been gracious to grant that. I want to come back to John's response from the womb in a moment because surely it is very significant in this text. Look with me at verse, the second part of 41. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit is Luke's declaration. Church, to be filled with the Holy Spirit always has been a marker of one who belongs to God by the regenerating work of the Spirit. For the Holy Spirit is not going to fill someone who's not been made holy by God. This means God has ordained that the Holy Spirit has gone to work in someone's life to bring about true faith in God and more specifically, the one who can save them from their sins, the promised Messiah. Peter said of Jesus in Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. 
What does this mean? It means for all those whom God saved prior to the life, death, and resurrection of the Messiah, of Jesus. It means the Holy Spirit regenerated their heart the same way He regenerated all of ours. And they put their faith in the promised Messiah to come. Because there is no salvation outside of faith in Christ. Salvation in no one else. We will hear her testimony of trusting that Jesus is her Lord in the coming verses. But hear with me clearly. Elizabeth belongs to God. The Holy Spirit has laid claim of her life. And now in her and at work and through her, we are all desperate for the saving and sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in us. For no one will trust God or serve God without being filled with the Spirit. Let me just be quick to remind you of this work of the Holy Spirit. Who is the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit? God, the Holy Spirit, is equal and eternal member of the Holy Godhead with God the Father and God the Son. Scripture tells us the Holy Spirit is the giver of new spiritual life. Truly significant because apart from the work of the Spirit in our lives, all unregenerate people are darkened in their understanding alienated from life of God because of the ignorance in them due to their hardness of heart. That's Ephesians 4.18. Therefore, we are dependent on the critical work of the Holy Spirit if we are to have spiritual life. Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And be careful to obey my rules. We must be born again. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in regeneration. John 3, 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Paul states it clearly, Romans 8, 9, Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Now don't miss this. Anyone who is saved has been given spiritual life by the work of regeneration and new birth of the Holy Spirit. Without this work, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, no one belongs to God or believes in God or trusts God. Therefore, no one would abide in God either. The Holy Spirit is key for life in God. Elizabeth belongs to God. The evidence of that is the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit in her life. And so what she's about to testify is the truth. Look at the second part of 41 and 42. Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 42, And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. This is what she says to Mary. To be blessed is to be, is to be favored Oh, how we want and need the favor of God. Surely this is the case for Mary, as she is God's choice among all women to be the one to give birth and to raise the Son of the living God, the Messiah, Jesus our Lord. Elizabeth also says here that the baby in Mary's womb is also blessed. Surely this is the case for the fruit of her womb is God, is the Son of God himself. So in this statement, we know that Elizabeth knows, watch this, 
that Mary will deliver the great deliverer. The phrase, blessed of the fruit of your womb, is one that we see in special moments throughout Old Testament writings. One of the biggest that stands out is God's choosing and blessing the nation of Israel among all other nations for His Old Covenant purposes. Deuteronomy 7 speaks of God's choice of Israel among all the other people in the world. It says in verse 6, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And then verse 13, later in that chapter, Deuteronomy 7, 13, He will love you, bless you, and multiply you. He will bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and grain and your wine and your oil, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock and the land that He swore to your fathers to give you. Solomon declares in Psalm 127, 3-5, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Well, surely it is a blessing from the Lord any time God ordains to open the womb to bring life of a child. The phrase blessed is the fruit of your womb, maybe to your surprise, is only used in all of the New Testament right here. And never did it refer to such a child as this. Blessed is the fruit of Mary's womb. How blessed? The holy child that Mary would bear is the Messiah, John 4, 25, 26. The Savior of the world, John 4, 1 John 4. The recipient of all of heaven's praise, Hebrews 1, 6. The one who is holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens, Hebrews 7, 26. The one whom God highly exalted and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, Philippians 2, 9. The one who will inherit all that the Father possesses, John 16. For He is the Lord of glory. 1 Corinthians 2.8 Elizabeth continues in her testimony, verse 43 and 44. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Elizabeth's question of why God has granted her this most special visit from the mother of her Lord is such a wonderful testimony of her faith and her humility. I mean, how quick are we to be seemingly chosen by God to do something really cool for His kingdom in the church or in our life or society, and then we just kind of raise up a little bit. I'm someone important. Like, look at what God chose to do in me. But this is not where Elizabeth's mind and heart is at. She is so humble. Who am I? <laughs> She doesn't feel worthy of such a blessing. What a marvelous testimony of a faithful woman who reminds us what a servant of the Lord is to look like. 
not prideful, not look at me, not see what I'm a part of, but look at God. Look at what God is doing. Look at the Most High. What an honor to be part of this. This humility in Elizabeth is a marker by which her son, John the Baptist, would be most known for, maybe in all of the testimonies of Holy Scripture, and maybe for that reason why Jesus himself calls him the greatest man ever born of man. John will later say of Jesus, John 1.27, He who comes after me, I'm older than him. The strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. I'm not worthy to do the lowest task in his life. Notice the awesome humility of Elizabeth who refers to Mary's unborn baby in a room as her Lord. A conceived child. She's so moved. She's so marveling at the reality of the fact that her Savior, her Lord, the promised Messiah has come and is near her in the womb of her precious family member. She's moved. And I just want to ask us, do you marvel Are you moved at the fact that the Son of God took on flesh to come near to save you? Elizabeth's not the only one marveling at the physical presence of God, the Son, in the flesh. Who else? The baby, John, still in the womb, is moved by the Spirit to celebrate and thrust at the presence of the one whom he was given life to point to. What a testimony. Here's John, not even born, and already pointing to the Savior of the world. Later, John will not point to Jesus with with body thrusting in the womb, but with his words declaring, Behold! Behold! The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John 1.29 What does the announcer of the arrival of the Savior of the world do when he can't speak from the womb of his mother? He has a dance party. To convey joy. presence of the Lord. He's overjoyed. Who who does that? The Holy Spirit does that in an unborn baby. The Holy Spirit is so at work in John's life that his testimony is already pointing to Jesus John will later say, speaking of his utter joy and privilege to know Jesus, to get to live his life for the fame of Jesus, to point others to him, 
It's not about me. It's not about how big my church or following is. It's not I exist for him. And what does he say? The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. John 3.29 Just like his mother Elizabeth, who's filled with the Holy Spirit of God, John is also filled with the Holy Spirit. If you remember, this is the testimony of Gabriel. We're not reading into the text here. Gabriel said very clearly, Luke 1.15, speaking of John, the child in Elizabeth's womb, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. God will move upon his life to give him spiritual life, not when he's a teenager, not when he's a young child, when he's still in the womb. God is not... God is able not only to bring life to the womb of a barren woman, but to ordain the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit to go to work in one's life, even in the womb. This brings us to a very popular question that people have asked for a long time. And that is, can unborn babies or very young children or mentally inhibited people believe in Jesus and be saved? And the answer is not by themselves. Because that's the same answer for you and me. It takes the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit to make this happen. So then do we have reason to believe that God sometimes makes this happen in the mentally inhibited or the unborn or in very young children? The answer is yes. And one of the best places we come to this understanding is right here in Luke chapter 1. When we are told the Holy Spirit is upon John while still an unborn child in the womb. And then we have evidences of John's faith in responding to the presence of the Lord here in verse 41. John, while in the womb, has real joy in the Savior. The kind of joy the scriptures say only the saved have. Based on this, we think there's biblical grounds to believe that after a person is conceived, God can and does work saving faith on his elect, even some in the womb. And therefore, he can do this in young, very young children and in the mentally inhibited. Let's not forget where we started. God is able. Nothing's impossible with God. Let's also remember the truths of Holy Scripture, and that is that salvation belongs to the Lord. Our historic Christian confessions make this point this way. Elect infants dying in infancy are regenerated and saved by Christ through the Spirit who works when and where and how He pleases. Historic Baptist Confession of Faith. Notice the careful wording here. It 
does not say all infants are given this, as some like to project or believe. It says the elect infants. This designates that all those God chose to save, all those whom he's elected, he can and will save by his sovereign grace. But we must all submit that we do not know how many of this is or who this is, for election and salvation belongs to the Lord. Church, we must remember that God's word also makes clear that conceived babies and young children are not innocent. Additionally, they are not ours. <laughs> they are God's creation, made in His image for His purposes, and entrusted to us to care for, nurture, and raise as long as He determines in order to accomplish His perfect will. God does not owe us anything. He does not owe anyone a long life in this age, and no person, young or old, deserves eternal life. We must remember that all of us are guilty from conception because of Adam's disobedience. Therefore, if God saves any, it is by grace alone. The fact that God saves any is an outright amazing grace at work by which he is worthy to be praised. This is an emotional and personal issue. However, our emotions and personal preferences cannot lead us to add to the Bible, nor to muddy the precious saving work of Christ given to us by grace through faith. Our hope for little ones is the same as our hope for anyone. We are all sinners. We are all without hope apart from the work of Christ being credited to a person by God's sovereign grace and choice alone. Praise be to Him, for God came to this world to save sinners, and God will save all those whom He's chosen to save. That's Ephesians 1. It is my true prayer that if and when you might experience the death of an unborn child or a young child or a mentally inhibited child, or if you're counseling another going through this incredibly hard loss, that we don't make promises or declarations that God has not made clear in Scripture. But instead, we wholly trust in God to rule and reign in these matters with all perfection. That He is worthy to be praised and trusted no matter what. We're not owed understanding for all matters. Psalm 33.8 Salvation belongs to the Lord. Job said it well, Job 1.21, The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. May our peace in these moments of incredible loss not be because of man-declared assurance of little one's designation, but in God who rules and reigns perfectly and rightly now and forever. Amen? Praise God for this testimony of the Holy Spirit's work in John's life. Even in the womb, God is amazing and worthy to be praised. Finally, look with me at verse 45. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what has spoken to her from the Lord. Elizabeth says that Mary is blessed for her faith, for her believing in what God's messenger said would happen. Church, we are blessed for our faith in Christ too. Faith in God is a marvelous gift of God. Philippians 1.29 For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ. You should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His name's sake. 
Beloved, join me in praising God for his gift of faith. For without faith, we would not be saved. Without faith, we would not know God or trust God. Hebrews 11.1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. It's trusting in the promises of God. The person who lives by faith is the one who says, I will take my life off of the temporary and failed things I can see and trust in and put it on the eternal and absolute promises of God whom I can't see but in whom I totally hope and believe. This is a hope and a trust in God's ability to deliver in opposition to the things that you had previously hoped in that could not deliver. Elizabeth says that Mary is blessed for her faith that God will do what he has said and the psalmist agrees that the one who trusts in God is blessed. Psalm 34, 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Christian, if you trust in Him, you walk by faith, you too are blessed. The late Dutch Reformed theologian Herman Bavink says, Faith in Christ enables believers, in spite of all the riddles that perplex them, to cling to the conviction that the God who rules the world is the same loving and compassionate Father who in Christ forgave them all their sins, accepted them as His children, and will bequeath to them His eternal blessedness. Like Mary, church, we too are blessed for our trusting in Christ alone with our eternal life, our entire life. We've witnessed this morning the wonderful testimony of these two faith-filled women, Elizabeth and Mary. May we live out the very faith that God has given to us, not just to be saved, but to be sanctified. Not just to get through this life, but to truly make much of Christ no matter what life brings. The news Mary heard was amazing and hard, but she trusted the Lord and therefore she was truly blessed. 2 Corinthians 5.7 For we walk by faith and not by sight. Christian, this means when your marriage is really hard. You trust God. And your joy is in Christ. When your kids are disobedient and really floundering, you trust God and your joy is in Christ. When your bank account is low and you don't know where you're going to go or what you're going to do, you're going to trust God and your joy is in Christ. When your loved one is suffering illness and might be close to death or lifelong impairment, you trust God and your joy is in Christ. When the person you love betrays you, you trust God and your joy is in Christ. When society is falling apart and the sinful world's agenda is growing its influence day by day, we trust God and our joy is in Christ. I leave you with the fuller context of that verse, walk by faith, not by sight. Will you stand with me as I do?
2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 8. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to be put to put on our heavenly dwelling if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked for while we are still in this tent we groan being burdened not that we would be unclothed but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life he who has prepared us for this very thing is god who has given us the spirit as a guarantee so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. What a great day that will be. In the meantime, let us walk by great faith in Him. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for this time together to, to study your good word, to, to, to be so blessed, challenged, convicted, encouraged, compelled at the sweet testimony of these sisters in Christ, these faithful who have come before us, these who you chose to use by your sovereign will, pray that our faith would go to work even in the midst of great trial that we'd see the temporariness of it that we would take great courage to live by faith and not by sight I echo the words of A.W. Pink who says what if trials come thick and fast what if I'm misunderstood or unappreciated what if Satan roars or rages against me if God be for us, who can be against us? Believe in God. Believe in His absolute sovereignty, His infinite wisdom, His unchanging faithfulness, His wondrous love. Jesus says, believe also in me. I am the one who died for thy sins and rose again for thy justification. I am the one who ever liveth to make intercession for thee. I am the same yesterday and today and forever. I am the one who shall come again to receive you unto myself, and ye shall be with me forever. Yes, believe also in me. Amen.